0: church charlotte God. all right all right uh, i want you to turn your bibles with me um to uh, matthew 24 i do also want us to remain prayerful about our health fair on saturday So even after tonight, um, pray for our health fair, pray for all nations service with this, which is just a month away, uh, November 12th, and of course, pray for the war that's going on in the Eastern Europe and also in the Middle East, the deal with Israel and Palestine. I've been been getting some questions or at least uh, some inferences around whether or not this is pointing to the end times. I don't know. Um, I believe there are some some scriptures that talk about the war in the Middle East, and um, the Bible is very clear about what we should look for. Um, and uh, some of what I'm teaching tonight has to do with with uh, perhaps some prophecies over the end time. So we, we, we want to remain we want to remain vigilant you know as they say used to say in the, in the old days, watch and pray right The old sages used to say watch and pray. <laughs> All right, Matthew 24, if you've got it, uh, put your Bibles in front of you or on your lap or if you have it on your, your your smartphone or whatever. I'm reading from the ESV version, but of this day of that day and hour no one knows. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 37. Matthew 24. I'm at verse 37 now. But as the day of Noah, days of Noah were, so also will the, son of, the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 38. For as in the days before the flood... They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, they weren't paying attention to what was going on around them. That's what those verses means. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They, they were distracted. They weren't paying attention to the signs of the times. You've heard that before, right? Verse, verse 39. And they did not know. Until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. And here's my verse verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour where you do not expect. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. (laughs) And, And so my title, my subject tonight is, where did the time go? I mean, you can't get more time. We know that, right? 24 hours in the day, right? We can't get more of that. What we can get is something else, though, that can help us be more Vigilant, uh, help us more uh, do a better job of budgeting our time, help us to be more aware, and that is to expand our capacity. Hopefully, you can, I can, Lord, help me to teach this tonight where someone can gain some knowledge of your word tonight. I want to ask a question Have you ever caught yourself saying recently, Where did the time go? I heard my wife saying the other day, "Goodness, where did September go?" Because September is her birth, her birth month. She was like, uh, "Didn't I just celebrate my birthday?" And September is already gone. Uh, my daughter is is a Christmas freak, and she was like, "I can't believe it's almost Christmas already." What pray tell do you think is really happening, brethren? Well, this reality is is actually fulfilling this command, this very important and critical biblical prophecy found in Matthew 24, uh, which we read. It's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus and at the end, the end, the end of the church age. Matthew writes, and of those days, if the days were not cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the very elect, those days will be cut short. Time. What are you doing with the time that you have? Today, virtually every, everyone, even children, have a smartphone, right? Costing many hundreds of dollars, whether it's an iPhone or an Android or something else. And whenever we tap our phones, right, up pops the date, the hour, the minute, and sometimes even the second, if we get a chance to change the settings. Long ago are the days when uh, we could only tell time by the hands of a mechanical clock on our wrist, where we had to do something like this, or look up on a wall. We've got it right in our faces. Um, And so, no matter how we view the hour, this next text that I'm about to read reminds us that time is running out. Time is getting short. And I, and I and I hope I'm not going to scare anybody tonight, but it's, the Lord is coming, right? And I want you all to be reminded of that and not be caught like the folks in the days of Noah. We want to be ready. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29, he's writing to the church at Corinth and he says, quote, this is what I mean, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short from now on. Let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away." The world is passing away. Paul is teaching here that none of us has any control over the future. We could die today, as a matter of fact. Therefore, we need to live with a sense of urgency and to devote the time we have to serving the Lord, who is eternal, right? Paul continues, let those weeping act as not weeping, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 30. Uh, So let's be clear. Some of us... Are ill, others are depressed, some others are out of work uh, or have lost loved ones. Paul is not advising us to ignore our problems and pretend like everything is fine and dandy. He, he is reminding us that all our trials, no matter how troubling, are just temporary. In the midst of our struggles, the best we can do is to keep our eyes focused on the Lord and His gospel. I know, I know. Some of you are in different stages of, of your lives, right? I'm, 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 probably on the, on the second half. I'm on the downside of the bell curve, right? Uh, my mom is on the line now. She, she you know, she's much older than I am. And she is still ambulatory and, and getting after it and up and down and traveling hither and yon. And she visits me for a couple of months and she visits my brother uh, a couple of months. And then she's with her daughter a couple of months and then another son in a couple of months. She's She's after it. But God says, let's keep our eyes focused on the Lord and his gospel, right? Now, we often use our circumstances as an excuse to ignore the demands of the word of God. We we often skip prayer. We overindulge in things of this world. We we treat our loved, one, loved ones poorly because, well, you know, they promise to love and cherish you until death, right? <laughs> but you neglect their needs and justify your actions with a cover-up we put off submitting to the gospel because we think that our situation justifies our inaction. We often say to ourselves things like, when I'm done with school, man, I'll get after that, you know? Or when I get this job or get to that level or to that salary, or, or when I'm healed from this illness or that illness, I'll follow God's commandments. When I find the right person, I'll settle down. I'll treat others with more compassion. But the text we read emphasizes that the circumstances of our lives, no matter how painful or distracting, should not keep us from handing our lives over to the Lord for safekeeping. Should not keep us from handing our lives over to the Lord for safekeeping. I want to say that one more time, to hand our lives over to the Lord for safekeeping. The gospel message, after all, will comfort us during those times, times of affliction, times of difficulty, times of unsure we're not sure, times of insecurity. And so while we, while we can let our pain and suffering keep us from following the call of the gospel in our lives, our comfort and contentment can also block the way to our calling. We can let our uh, our ease, our, you know, my grandmother used to always say, don't, don't be at ease in Zion. <laughs> right? Don't be so comfortable that you miss your calling. You miss your calling. Um, I think that the more comfortable and contented we are, sometimes that could cause us to miss what it is God wants to do with us. Many of us have the tendency to think, I have I, I have plenty of time, I'm young. I know my children feel this way. They're like, I got forever, man. You're old, you're ancient, you're one foot in the grave. I, I chuckle because I used to say that. And they'll say things like, I'll, I'll get serious when I'm older. And to these people, Paul says, let those that rejoice, act as though they're not rejoicing, 1 Corinthians seven thirty. When we are young and excited about life and can view the gospel as a burden, religion, some think, spirituality, some think, it's what the old, who have nothing better to do with their lives. But the Apostle Paul calls all people at all stages of life to make the gospel the number one thing in our lives. This pursuit of our creator, of a relationship with our creator, the number one thing in our lives. He says, quote, the world in its present form is passing away. Our our circumstances are temporary. We must therefore focus on that which lasts forever. In the gospel according to Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20, we hear the proclamation of the gospel in its simplest form and see a couple of examples of how to respond appropriately. The gospel passage begins with Christ saying, quote, this is the time of fulfillment. In other words, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1 15. With this proclamation, we are reminded once again that time, time is short. And I know we don't feel like that because we hear, we've we been hearing it ever since we started to come to church. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And we have. We, we are, we're doing our best to follow the words of the Lord. But now we're tired of hearing it because it hasn't happened. Well, guess what? Noah preached for 120 years and they didn't listen until it started to rain by then it was too late the Lord himself shut the door of the ark and now the Lord is calling us right now to turn from our sins follow him follow him he's asking he's pleading and, and it is now is the time for us to respond. After, after proclaiming this message, Jesus passes by the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and Andrew. You remember this, right? Casting their nets into the sea. It was Mark 1, I believe, 16. He says to them, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Mark 1, 17. The Lord doesn't wait for the perfect time to call you. He doesn't wait for the perfect time to call his disciples. He just says, Come and I'll make you fishers of men. The Lord doesn't wait for this perfect time for any of us. Further on in the text, Jesus continues and he sees Simon and Andrew in the middle of whatever it is that they were doing. They're fishermen, so they're 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 getting ready to cast their nets. He doesn't wait for them to come ashore. He calls them right from where they are. And they do not say, hey, I'll come back later. We we just got started fishing. In fact, they, they do not say a word. They, they do not stop to think. They, they simply just jumped into action. They could have come up with a million reasons to say, no, not now. But the gospel writer simply says they abandoned their nets and followed him. Mark 1, 18. In an instant, Simon and Andrew leave their, their old lives behind and hand themselves over to the Lord for safekeeping. Jesus walks a little bit further down the seaside. Same thing happens again, this time with James and John. They too are in the fishing business and in a slightly different position. They're, they're done, and Simon and Andrew uh, are just going out. They're in a boat mending their nets in chapter 1 of Mark, verse 19. They too, when called, drop what they were doing immediately, and just like Simon and Andrew, follow Jesus at once. We all have our own excuse to push aside our commitment to the gospel. But whether we are in our 20s or 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, or even our 80s, like my mom, whether we are unemployed or have a dream job, whether we are single or married or have just met the one, or have a a, a beautiful vocation, whether we got money or whether we are poor, whether we're depressed or content, we are all called to follow Jesus, regardless of our circumstances. To respond to God's call and to live out the life of our call of the gospel in our lives. Live it out. Practice it. We are told by David in Psalms 95, in the day that you hear his voice, how many of you remember that one? Harden not your heart. It is repeated in the book of Hebrews. And you know what happens when things are repeated in the scripture, right? So, Uh, David tells us in Psalm 95, verse 8, and also in Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 8, and also verse 15, and also Hebrews 4, verse 7. Same, same thing. In the day when you hear his voice, hard not your heart. Christ tells us what we need to do. First, repent, right? You got to believe. Repent. Peter tells us in, in Acts, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the removal, removal of those sins that you've repented of. And God promises that he will give you the gift of his spirit, the Holy Ghost. That will enable you to live for God. I tell people all the time, you cannot live for God without God in your heart. Uh, you can be a good man or a woman. You can not lie, steal, or cheat. You can be a good moral person. But that doesn't mean you are living for God. Let me be clear it takes the Spirit of God to live for God. As Jesus said, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, come on, somebody. You are not part of his family. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. And so it, it it takes God, as I keep saying, I'll repeat, it takes God to live for God. You can't live a godly life unless you have God telling you, don't do that. Don't go here. Don't listen to that. Don't watch that. It takes God to live for God. So, repent and believe. If we listen, he repeats this message to us all throughout the Bible. When we realize how little control we have over our future, how quickly time passes away, we we, we will stop making excuses and jump into action like Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now, the apostles will eventually fail and fall, right? Right? But they get back up. They make mistakes, but they get back up. And you will too. But we're following that path. We will, because we're flesh. We're going to make mistakes. But you get back up as soon as you realize. But like a clock, we need to get up and keep moving forward every day, every hour, every minute, and every second. After all, we don't know how much time we have left on this earth. To be precise, you and I have exactly the same amount of time every day. Each and every one of us only have 168 hours in a week, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you multiply the two of those numbers, you get 168 hours. Each and every one of us have the same time each week. How are you going to use it is the question. With, with some of that time, you need to sleep, so we need to rest, or we'll get fewer total weeks in our short lives, right? So rest is important. With some of that time, we spend time with our family, quality time, hopefully, and spend time with the people we love, building friendships and relationships. And with some of that time, we, we go to our jobs, our useful vocations, and and for many of us, unfortunately, we spend way too much time on that and not enough time on the other 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 areas. Proportionally speaking, we spend too much time at work, but that's a whole nother message. So how many times have you gotten to the end of your day or your week? Or even just past the Monday or Tuesday? And you said, Man, man. If I had just had more time, I would have done this or that. How many times have you gotten to the end of something, a task or a day, and you realize that you didn't get everything that you needed done, done? Here's a reality check. and Let me give you some tools here. You can't get more time. But what you can do with the time that you have is expand your capacity. You have the ability to be more fruitful while you're here. You have the ability to use your time better. You have the ability to be more efficient, efficient and effective with the time that you have. What what are you spending your time on? Take a good look. Uh-huh. Uh, I recently saw where someone wrote about the difference between bandwidth and capacity, and it struck me. And how often do we confuse the two? Let me give you a definition of bandwidth. It pertains to how much time we have for a given area of our life, right? such as family or work or volunteering at church. However, capacity refers to how much fruit we are able to bear in that given amount of time. Bandwidth is how much time you have, and capacity is how fruitful you could be in that time. And so the story is told of a man who wrote that when he was a kid, he used to help his grandfather carry things from one barn to the next, right? He wrote that his grandfather was a little slow, and since he was a kid, he was faster, he could easily keep up with him. He wrote that, quote, we took the same amount of time walking between barns, but he was strong and could carry at least six times as much as I could. We had equal bandwidth, but he had greater capacity. So his haul at the end of the day was around six times as much as mine. I want you to get that. The only way to increase your bandwidth is to quit doing something that you're already doing with the time that you have, this this 168 hours in the week. That's all you got. So if you spend eight hours sleeping and eight hours at work, you've got eight hours of family time or whatever. You've got to quit doing something during that time in order to uh, uh, appropriate that time for something else. Uh, for example, you can shift the time budget around and get more time for volunteering at church and use less time for leisure and so forth. The truth is that most of us overestimate our bandwidth, the amount of time we can spare. We think that we can, here, listen to this one we can, we can. Um, we can double double task, or what do you call it? Um, um, multitask. That's what people tell me. We can multitask. I, I can do two, three, four things at the same time. I laugh because yes, you can. None of them will be acceptable. You can do two or three things at the same time, but none of them well. We underestimate our capacity. And overestimate our bandwidth. We think we've got plenty of time to commit to more tasks and we'll figure out ways to squeeze it all in. (laughs) Uh, That's how we start down the path of burnout. I got plenty of examples of that. And so there are far more ways to expand your capacity than your bandwidth. The man writes that my my grandfather had spent years working with his hands. And while all that time, he was expanding his ability to carry more things, his capacity to carry more things from one barn to the other barn. And as he was getting older, he was expanding that ability. He was getting smarter at carrying more things with the time that he had. So here's the million dollar question. How can you expand your capacity, not just in church and with God and the things of God, but in general? There are things that we can do to expand our capacity. Let me give you a couple of them. Number one, we need to become lifelong learners, we need to get smarter at how we do what we do. Every time you read a book, for example, or learn a new skill, you increase your capacity. And in 2016, I knew virtually nothing about the world of residential real estate until I took a course and read some books and hung out with a couple of people that knew more about it than I did. Did some research online about it. I met some new friends who were in the real estate business and they, they, they taught me. I gleaned whatever knowledge they, they were willing to share. Then I tried my hand at joining uh, a friend, in a business venture. Never took off, but I still like to think that the idea was ahead of its time. But in failing, I learned a lot about how marketing and financing and even setting up the right kind of business can teach valuable lessons. Right now, I'm learning how to dramatically uh, parent adult children uh, as opposed to younger children. Uh, I laugh because it's funny. Uh, So I've been teaching and leading leaders for quite a few years now. But in order to be successful, I must keep learning in order to increase my capacity to produce greater fruit. We learn when we read good books. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time I read a book? I know. I know. I'm picking on you right now. I'm reading this one. I'm reading this one. Um, right now, all I really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. I know it sounds funny, but you know, my pastor was preaching a few months ago and he mentioned it and I thought I had read it before. So I just ordered it and it came in, you know, prime. Right. And, uh, I started reading it. Great life lessons in a book like this. Right. Um, when we learn from courses and seminars and coaches and mentors, we expand our capacity. When someone sits down and write a book about something they know and know very well, you're you're picking up a basket of knowledge from them, which they have distilled into a book, and that puts you that, fa- that much further ahead. To continue the story that I was telling you, the man continues the story and says that when he was a teenager, he worked for his dad. He, he writes that he and his dad remodeled houses. They built decks, took on other residential construction projects. My dad, he writes, because of about bout with polio when he was young, only had one good arm to work with, but he could swing a hammer like nobody's business. He knew how to do pretty much any home improvement job except electricity. He had a problem with electricity because with electricity, you have to use both hands. I, on the other hand, he writes, was terrible with a hammer. He said, I have a, a 0.350 average on hitting the nail. <laughs> of course, that would be a great average if we were playing baseball, but not so much in construction, right? So as a result, he spent most of his time carrying things to his father. Who was swinging the hammer? Who had gotten good at it with his one and a half hand? So I would carry things, and Dad would do most of the tasks that required actual skills. He wrote, and because we had a bit of a system, it worked out pretty fine. And 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 I say this with all the humility. I teach a class at church um, called First Steps, and it, it in that in my in my lesson lesson three, I teach a a personality assessment and in that personality assessment we we try to discover what we're good at there's a lot of power in discovering your gifts there's a lot of power in discovering what you're good at your your passions your abilities and working within that sphere now it's okay to change careers and uh but it's very unproductive to try to be someone you're not or doing something that you're not very gifted at. So number three is do the things you do well frequently. I'm sorry, number two is find out the things that you do well and do them frequently. Number three is do the things that you don't do well less frequently. And I'm not arguing that you can't ever do tasks outside your native skill sets. All of us will need to do things to live productive lives. That's the nature of work. But how long will you continue doing the things you don't like doing and aren't very good at when you have the choice to do something else? Doing the things we don't do well, less often, requires the disciplines of discernment, to understand your own reality. And delegation, give it to somebody else who's better at it. So in business, this is referred to as planned abandonment, right? I'm going to purposely neglect the things that aren't productive for me and shift that energy and focus to what I can do well and to be more productive at. Hope this is helping somebody so let me repeat let me uh, review number one be a lifelong learner read a book uh, listen to a podcast listen to a seminar get some new learning good books are my favorite right take a course get another degree get a certification even get a coach or a mentor that's number one be a lifelong learner number two Focus on doing what we do well the most. If you find an area that you are really good at, focus on that area, right? And 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 the contrary or the opposite is also true. The things that you don't do well, do them less frequently, right? Number four, figure out a way to work with people better. If you're not good with working with people, Work on that. Work with people better. I don't know who said it, maybe John Maxwell. Uh, Teamwork makes the dream work. It's a truism. There's a reason why in the old days, farming communities would come together and build their neighbor's barns. When you combine people with various skill sets and expertise, you increase the overall capacity. He's a good, good carpenter. He's great at swinging hammer and cutting wood. Uh, he's good at electricity. He's good at whatever it is. And before you know it, the barn is done. So I, I, I work with Pastor Nate uh, here at First Church, to uh, we're, we're leading a, a great church. It's a growing church and healthy. Um, I'm learning from him. And it is partially because of preaching. But it's also the skill of the combined staff. We are blessed to be surrounded by great people, uh, willing and capable, amazing people will do what they do very well. We've got people working in production that does really good at that, does really good stuff. And we've got people working in security and ushering that's really good at that. We've got people working on the website that's really good at that. There's a ton of dedication. They enjoy the work. I- I'm really good at meeting people. I'm good at at conversation and chatting with new people. I, I am somewhat of an extrovert, right? And it comes easy to me. So so I'm the connections pastor, right? I focus on meeting new people and welcome them into First Church. And so right now we have not, you know, to be honest, that's one of the areas that we're really doing well in at First Church, welcoming new people. We are great at attracting new people at First Church. And, and our staff members and leaders who gather uh, others to their team, whatever their team is, is focused on doing, they they accomplish more. And so right now we're looking for ways to do various things better. In other words, expanding our capacity, right? And so we, we want to make sure that we are uh, studying, and learning, and growing and developing uh, so that the church can grow and develop as well. Doing some research recently on, on how teams work uh, and work well together. There's a book that's called Teams That Thrive, Five Disciplines of Collaborative Church Leadership. Uh, the authors are Ryan Hartwig and Warren Bird. And they give us five things that healthy teams do well. Number one, focus on purpose. What is the purpose of this team? What are we trying to accomplish? Number two, leverage the differences in your team. Who's good at what? And focus them in that area. Number three, rely on inspiration more than on control to lead. If if you're a control feat, that might be difficult for you. But rely on the inspiration from God, and ask God to show you, teach you, help you how to lead your team, and then structure the decision making in a fair and logical way. And finally build a culture of continuous collaboration. When we evaluate which of the five disciplines we really need to focus on, we need to, to discuss or we need to remind ourselves how much how much we need the other person. Once we start looking at this objectively, we realize that this is my area of expertise. And that's, uh, you know, Tiffany's area of expertise, for example. She's good at marketing, right? When we collaborate, when we bring our uh, expertise together, it expands our capacity. You- you'll never be able to get more time. You, you can't buy it. You can't uh, manufacture it. You-, you can only budget the time you have more effectively and more efficiently, We call that capacity. You can, however, increase your capacity. How? By learning, by doing what you do well more, by doing what you don't do well less, and by working with the right people. That will help you to increase your capacity so that when the Lord returns, you are ready. You've gotten your act together You've, you've you've cleared out all the cobwebs out of your mind. You can see clearly when the Lord touches you again, you can see men walking like men as opposed to men walking like trees. You know what I mean? I'm just wanting to encourage you that that there's more out there. Don't waste the time that God has given you. See if you can leverage uh, what I've taught you tonight to be more effective, more effective. Uh, capable, more, uh, uh, have more time to do the things that God has equipped you to do so that you can enlarge your capacity for the kingdom of God. Amen. That is all I have tonight. That is all I have tonight. I hope uh, I've said something that has encouraged you and strengthened you and given you uh, a word of encouragement. Amen. Mm-hmm listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you are in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text give to 704-445-5353 we pray god's richest blessings to you come worship with us